Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know, I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. Not every point in your life is the point when you need to be like super A plus responsible with money, you know? Obviously, it's great if you are, but not everyone's wired that way. And if you force yourself to sit at home and eat peanut butter instead of making friends in your 20s, like, I don't think that's really any way to live either. What's the point, right? Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. It's an interesting question. 
Is saving money ruining your social life? I mean, if you think about it, so much of your social life revolves around spending money. If you want to catch up with a friend, great. You go have drinks and you grab a bite to eat. Then there's that birthday party on the weekend where you spend more money. Your favorite band's in town, so you grab a friend and you guessed it, you spend money. But what happens though when you have a big money goal that requires you to stop spending money? Do your friendships have to suffer? Charlotte Coles, author of My Two Cents, a column about money and relationships on The Cut, tackled this very question in this episode. You know, where judgment and shame comes from is is really a, a sense of like wanting to belong or if they're ashamed, that's a really isolated feeling. What they really want to do is connect with you. I think that's a similar thing with wanting with being worried that saving money or being concerned about money is going to cost you friendships. It's a fear of isolation. All right. So I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> is it possible to build strong friendships without spending money while you're saving to reach your money goals without feeling judged? I would really like to hope that the answer is yes, but let's see what Charlotte has to say. All right, let's start talking. You wrote this fun, but I found like very poignant article in The Cut. You have a column, My Two Cents, and we're here to talk all about it. It's called Saving Money is Ruining My Social Life. And it was inspired by a reader question they had sent in. And I just, I knew I had to have you on the podcast to talk about it because I think it's a really relatable subject that a lot of us can um, can feel sort of the pain of this reader. And here's what one of the readers uh, wrote. They wrote that they were, you know, recently laid off and they decided to focus kind of hardcore on money and specifically on saving money. And this was kind of the dismay of, of, of their friends. And this part of the question really got me. I'm quoting, it says, the thing is a lot of my friends are financially irresponsible and love to do expensive things like go out for bottomless brunch or wine tastings or whatever, which is part of what kept me from saving money before. But then they complain they're all broke. So I tried to address this by suggesting alternative plans and talking about my own financial goals, but I guess they just don't want to hear it. <laughs> I love that part because I, I feel like that's kind of the crux of, of, this, uh, of this question. So Charlotte, just kind of get things started. I thought this might be fun. You know, why do our social lives, why are they so dependent on us actually spending money? It's such a great question. And I think... You know, you're always going to have people who are like, oh, you don't have to spend any money to have fun. Just go for a walk. Just go sit in the park. And those things are true. But sometimes the people that you care about and who really, you know, you connect with, those aren't necessarily the things that they want to do. Or it's just not what your group of friends has been socialized around. Um, so I think that that for a lot of people connect, especially when you're young. Like for me, I have lived in New York City since I was, you know, since college. And all of my friends when I was in my 20s, like we like to go out, we like to go to bars. That was really how you met people, especially being young in a big city. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, that's an exciting time of their life and they don't want to miss out on those experiences. And so they get trapped kind of in this cycle of overspending and feeling bad about it. And, um, but they, the last thing they 
want to do is get lectured about it too. So (laughs) when one of their friends starts kind of making them feel, chances are they, they already have a little bit of a sense of shame about it or, um, you know, just feeling uneasy really is probably the best way to put it. Um, and, and they, they don't want to hear when someone else kind of has it figured out better than them. That's a time in your life when you're trying to figure out who you are and, and who your friends are. Um, and sometimes that means that you're spending more money than you're comfortable with. Um, it's a paradox really. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm also thinking like because of the pandemic and we were all in this crazy situation for a couple of years that it was sort of like I felt like at some point, I don't know if it was 2021 or early 2022 or what that marker was for everyone listening, but it was almost like the gate opened. Oh my (laughs) God. You were, you like just started spending money again. And I feel like there was some level of, I don't want to use the word irrational because that's not correct, but it was some level of just like need almost to go out and socialize and do things and travel and spend money. And so I could see how, um, you know, you could easily overspend and just, you know, the the brain part of you is like, well, that's okay. You deserve this. It's true. And, and I also think there are points in your life for everything and not every point in your life is the point when you need to be like super a plus responsible with money you know obviously it's great if you are but not everyone's wired that way and if you force yourself to sit at home and eat peanut butter instead of making friends in your 20s like i don't think that's really any way to live either what's the point right um <laughs> so so I think I think it's important not to berate yourself if you are in that position. I I certainly was. And I sort of cleaned up my act later on when I, you know, and now those same friends that I used to go out to bars with, we have dinners at each other's apartments. Like, it's ironic. But now that we all probably make more money, we also are more careful with how we spend it. But that's because we're just more secure in our lives, I think. Yeah. And, you know, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like another really important point I found uh, that this reader was talking about was this idea of um, like outgrowing our friends or our partners, like particularly when it comes to money and our goals, like that those things were taking a leading role in our lives and not the, the friendships and the relationships. What advice do you have, you know, somebody listening, if they're trying to like deal with this idea of wanting to focus on their money, but afraid of outgrowing everyone? It's it's a painful question. And I think everybody is going to deal with it at some point in their lives. You know, like you mature, nobody matures at the exact same rate at the exact same time. And there are going to be points when you pull back from certain friends and other points when you know, that friendship is incredibly important to you or points where you learn a lot from certain friends who you didn't necessarily relate to until you were starting to confront some of the things that they figured out before you did. Um, I remember when I was starting to get really interested in um, being more conscious about my finances, I had a couple of friends who had always been those friends who 
were almost like a little bit annoying about not being able to afford certain stuff. Like they, it was a little sanctimonious, <laughs> I felt. Um, but then when I started getting curious about being better with my money, they were the first people that I talked to about it. Um, so I think I think it's really hard to see the long play the long game with these friendships. You don't always know how they're going to pan out, and chances are you might grow apart from certain people that you spend a lot of time with when you realize that you actually just don't have that much in common besides like spending a lot of money on drinks and that's natural (laughs) and that's fine. It doesn't mean that they weren't a a great person to hang out with when you were 23 years old. Right. Um, But I think, I think it's normal and natural for your relationships to evolve in that way. And it can feel painful in the moment, but um, it also creates more space in your life for people who, you do have more in common with. In the article, you talked about this this time in your life when you were in your 20s and you were on your own money journey and you know your friends were all settling down and, and you were like, wait a minute, I, I still want to go out. I still want to have, have fun. Like my life is still at, you know, a different place. What what are some of the other like money lessons you learned um, during that point in your life? Or did they kind of evolve as you got older and you could look back at that time and be like, oh, okay, I understand now. Yeah, I think part of it was also a relief. Like I had friends who, like I remember I was catching up with someone and she, we were like, oh, we'll get drinks or whatever after work. And she was like, you know, would you mind just going for a walk? And that was totally I, I it hadn't even occurred to me because I was so used to sort of the regular social cycle of just like oh if we're gonna catch up then well where should we meet um and um and to have her suggest that was just instantly I didn't even know that I wanted to do it until it was suggested <laughs> to me <laughs> and we went for like, this oh, really yeah, nice walking walk. sounds good yeah. yeah it was it was totally great and that became I mean that is another thing that I think came out of the pandemic is that walking became like a really acceptable way to catch up and spend time with friends. Um, and, and I still do it all the time. Um, but of course it is weather dependent and you know, that especially if you live in a cold climate as I do, not always realistic, but Um, but having that as like a regular thing that you do with people rather than, you know, something that you never do with people, just having that sort of in your back pocket is something to do. I think the same with like meeting at people's homes, um, potluck dinners, those are all like very standard and I know sort of boring suggestions because everyone's heard them. But if you do them, you will realize that they're actually very fun. Like sometimes it just takes I the first wholeheartedly person to agree. normalize it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so true. And, you know, I think about um, this idea that money is this t- taboo topic and that, you know, we don't really talk about it with our friends. We usually don't. And that it, it kind of maybe will come out in ways like your reader was suggesting where she was cutting back or he, he or she was cutting back on going out um, with friends. but. You know, I think it would be really interesting. I'm, I'm just curious what your thoughts are because you you write all these great articles like based off of listener questions of how can we actually like normalize talking about money with our friends when we when we go out to eat or when we're on those walks so that 
it isn't so much of a taboo topic. Totally. I think it's really hard. And a a lot of people bring up this need to talk more about money, um, which I think is, is totally fair and totally true. But I think in doing so, you also need to recognize that a lot of people are coming from a different place than where you are. And so, yes, on the one hand, the way to make people more comfortable talking about money is to just talk about it. But you also can't force the issue if it makes someone else really nervous. So I think one way to do it is you can you can sort of casually drop it into conversation. And if the person lets it lie, it, it goes away. You know, you move on, you talk about something else. But if you're like, oh, um, really been working on my student loans lately, you know, see if they take the bait. And if they don't, then, you know, that's not something that they, they can contribute to. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, upset that you brought it up. Just some people don't really know how to talk about it. And, um, and if you casually bring it up, then great. But, um, but I don't think it's necessarily something that you need to like bring into conversation in a really formal way. Um, unless it really is something that you want to formally talk about with someone who you sense has more knowledge than you. Um, I've had a lot of friends be like, Hey, I'm really interested in starting my own business. Do you have any ideas about where I should do that? Or, Hey, I paid off my student loans and now I'm interested in maybe trying to save up for a down payment. How do I do that? Or I'm really interested in learning how to invest. Does anyone have any tips on that. And you can sort of pose it to a group. I'm sure everyone who listens to your podcast is probably part of a group chat or, you know, text with millions of people every day. You can just throw that into a group chat and see what, where it goes, you know, and if it doesn't take off, that's okay. You don't have to push the issue, but take the temperature. And it might be that other people are really grateful that you brought it up. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/etm. 
Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this, they release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. It's interesting because when whenever I go and hang out with friends, um, a lot of times they'll say, "Oh, um, I have a money question. Is it okay if I if I ask you?" And I'm like, "Of course, absolutely! Like happy to to give any of my thoughts or opinions." And I think it's interesting because a lot of people are really nervous um, to talk about money with me, thinking that there's going to be some sort of judgment that I'm going to place on them or I'm going to tell them that they've done something bad or wrong or whatever it might be. You know, there's there's just this fear around money. And I think one of the cool things that you talked about in this article was um, this idea of judgment versus opinion. And I think a lot of times in any relationship we have when we're talking about money, we come from a place of judgment. I think that's why money in relationships can get so sticky and and involve, you know, so many hot fights. Yeah. How can we shift how can we maybe even recognize and then shift our our judgments from judgments to opinions so that we can start to have these conversations? That's such a great question. And I think one one way to do that is to start off from a point of relating to someone. So if they're 
talking about a problem that they're having or if they're upset about something financially, just share how you can relate to that. And if you can't, try to figure out another point that you can relate to. Because I think the biggest thing that a lot of people feel, you know, where judgment and shame comes from is is really a, a sense of like wanting to belong or if they're ashamed, that's a really isolated feeling, isolating feeling. And what they really want to do is connect with you. And I think that's a similar thing with wanting, with being worried that saving money or being concerned about money is going to cost you friendships. It's a fear of isolation. Money is just another vehicle that right. helps people connect with one, with one another and get together and um, spend time doing things that they have in common. And so I think that at the root of a lot of financial fears is just the fear that, you know, you're going to be alone <laughs> and you're, you're going to isolate yourself and, and lose important connections. So, um, so I think starting from a place of connecting with someone over a question or a concern that they have about money is really, really, really important. Does that answer your question? I feel like I might have gone off. Track. Yeah, no, it does because I like that you bring up the the fear of isolation because I I hadn't totally thought about it that way, but I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think it makes even more sense, um, you know, now that we are post pandemic, where we don't want to we don't want to be isolated again. We don't want to feel that that pain or you know that closed off again, and so. If we if we're worried about our money, but then you know the next breath our friend invites us to go hang out and have a drink or go to dinner or whatever it might be, it's like well I would I would rather do that even if I am worried about my money or or I'm focusing on my money whatever it might be, um, you know I could easily see how the just the fear of of, of isolation is a motivating factor to spend more money. Yeah, and also I think just the power of wanting to belong and to want to be part of a group that is really important to you and that you do really identify with. That's a really motivating thing. And if all your friends are, you know, getting tickets to go on this trip or, you know, I think weddings, especially this year, they've oh, gotten yeah. so expensive. That's another thing that like can just the the social pressures to do that are are huge. Um, and it can be incredibly stressful. Um, so I think that's, those are all examples of, of really wanting to connect and be part of something, um, that, you know, supports the relationships that you care about. Um, and, and that can, those can just be really hard decisions. I don't have any great answers for that. (laughs) Um, but I, I do think, and a lot of people might disagree with this, but I personally don't think it's helpful to relationships when you say, I can't afford to do something because that is really placing a value. Most of the time, like you could technically afford it if it was important enough to you. Right. So what you're really saying is I'm not making this a priority to me when you say I can't afford that. And that can be really hurtful to people. Um, and it also kind of like it, it can make people ashamed that, that 
you know, they're like, well, technically I can't afford it either. If you're saying you can't afford it, then how, how can I, you know, um, it, it does set up a little bit of comparison, um, or invite comparison, I think. And so I think what is more, again, people may disagree with this. I know plenty of people who say that they can't afford to do things and, and that feels right to them. And I, I don't want to say that they shouldn't, but to me, I think it, um, is a little bit kinder and, um, and also, you know, more protective of relationships to say something like, look, I'm really focusing on this, you know, I'm trying to save up for a down payment for a house, or I've really got to get my student loans under control or like name this other priority and be like, you know, look, our relationship and our friendship is really important to me. Um, but I've, I've got this other thing that is that I've got to take care of. Is there some other way that I can celebrate your birthday with you or, you know, celebrate your wedding or, you know, um, that doesn't involve like a $600 plane ticket and three days of hotel rooms. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one time service, Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time or just relax to a good book, Listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into The Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. 
However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in The Daily Book Club. Talking about money is hard. You know this already. All over the world, people are taught to never talk about money, politics, sex, or religion in polite company. On 50 Fires, a podcast about money and meeting from executive producers Chip and Joanna Gaines, host and financial conversationalist Carl Richards will remove money from that list by having frank, funny, and often difficult conversations about money, the kind we're all told not to have, with guests from all walks of life. In each episode, Carl will invite a new guest to answer the question, what does money mean to you? Their answers will reveal much more than their attitudes about money, spanning revelations about identity, community, faith, family, and the true meaning of wealth. Tune in to hear deep conversations about money and the meaning it holds in our lives. You can find 50 Fires on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I think that is amazing advice because I I like that the advice of shifting it on to what is the goal? What is the why behind why you aren't wanting to spend money right now? And so I think, you know, that could just make you feel great because you're, you're focusing on your why, but also your friend, you know, have a better way to connect with you. And maybe even they can become more of a cheerleader to you in support of that goal. I think that is amazing. No, I love that. And I was just thinking about the whole wedding thing. I read, I can't remember the source, but there was an article. I think that it said that uh, the average person this year is spending around six hundred and fifty dollars ish, somewhere like that, on um, going to weddings. And you know that, t- depending on how much money you have, that may or may not sound like a lot of money, but that feels like a lot of of pressure if you're you know invited in a wedding. And I know a lot of my friends are having like destination weddings. And so it's, you know, it is, it's the plane ticket, it's, it, it's the food, it's the hotel. And, you know, bef- before you know it, you're spending all your money on celebrating other people and you haven't done anything for yourself. Like, I, I would just imagine that's going to be a lot of pressure. It's also really hard to budget for. Um, it's one thing when you're like, well, I know I spend X amount on groceries every week and this amount on cat food or whatever. But when you've got these like one-off things, um, it's just, it's really hard to kind of carve that out and plan for. You just don't, you know, it, it really, it's an X factor. It's just very difficult. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny that you even bring up that, that $650 thing because it would be great if that was what everyone could just expect to spend. It's a lot of money for some people, but at least they could be like, I know what it is. I think for so many people, it's actually just a big question mark. And they're like, yeah, sure. I want to go to my friend's wedding in Hawaii, but they, they don't actually know what that's going to entail until they get their credit card bill that month or whatever. And then there's the panic moment. (laughs) Yeah. I've had plenty of those myself. I'm like, wait a minute. I spend how much? (laughs) Yeah. Well, Charlotte, you are the Cuts uh, financial advice columnist. I was just before our chat, I was looking over some of your recent articles and they are they're so fun. Like the, the listener question or the reader questions, I should say, are just so interesting. And um, I'm wondering, you know, are there any common themes or trends that you see in in the questions that are sent over to you? 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of the questions that I get revolve around how money affects relationships. And I think, or how relationships affect money, that's really a two-way street. Um, And I think it's so tricky um, and so interesting because everyone has their own anxieties around money and their own anxieties in general. And they sort of play out in these incredibly difficult and sticky ways in relationships, Um, whether that's your friendships or your family or your spouse or your partner or um, anyone. And, um, And in a lot of cases, it's not necessarily a matter of like who's right and who's wrong or like who should pay for what. That's what people always, those are the questions that people always come to me with. Um, but the real answer, and I hate to be like, it's about how you say it. It's not about what you say, but so much of it is just like, people have gone so far down these rabbit holes about like the dynamics of money in their relationship that they can't get back to the bigger picture. And probably both of them are very much on the same page about how they want to spend money and how much money they have and how they want to budget it. They're probably like 99%. It's kind of like how all humans and animals are actually like made up of 99% the same things. Like they're probably like 99% on the same page about money, but they've just gotten so like wrapped up in these like tiny differences that have gotten blown out of proportion and caused all these fights um, that to be able to back up and look at the big picture of their values and how much money they're willing to spend on spending time with family, for example. Um, If they could just back up and, and make some like bigger rules and establish some like more regular habits around discussing them and consulting each other rather than making decisions and then getting fights about them afterwards. um, I think so many of these problems could be, not nipped in the bud, but at least um, not turn into like these enormous recurring fights. Right. And hopefully not lead to as many divorces and breakups and uh, right. Or just like miserable day to day sniping. (laughs) Right. Like I don't even like this person and you're like, why? I don't, I don't even know. I don't know. I just don't, I just don't like this person. (laughs) Right. Uh, So how do you decide which, which questions you're going to, you're going to answer? I mean, a lot of it is that when I get a good one, I just flag it. And I, I, sometimes it's very obvious and I'll just, I'll, I'll get a good one that week and I'll want to write back. Um, but other times I'll like, I got a question in the fall that was about taxes and I saved it for closer to tax season. So sometimes it really is about what's more relevant, um, you know, in, in that moment. Um, that's usually how I decide. Sometimes, um, it also will depend on, you know, I won't even, sometimes I'll get like a bunch of questions around one very similar topic. And, um, and so it'll just be a matter of trying to pick one that I think, um, that I think I can answer the best, first of all. Um, you know, obviously I want to be useful, but also one that other people can relate to the most. Well, they are, they're super fun. I, I love them. Uh, I wanted to go back to one point in the article that I think, 
um, is is really important to, to talk about. I'm a certified trauma of money expert, so I am I talk about trauma of money a lot, and I see it, it, it come up a lot when people focus like way too much on their money goals, you know, at the expense of everything in their lives. And you call this money vigilance, which I've never heard those words before. I thought that was really interesting which can come from money trauma, things like losing a job and things like that, that then can make you hyper-focused on your money and to the point of maybe where you don't want to do anything or you're afraid to spend money. Tell us more about, about this money vigilance and why you actually caution against it. Yeah, totally. Um, this so that the term money vigilance actually comes from um, a psychologist named Brad Klontz. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, um, but he uh, it's one of his. I believe there's four different money types that he has sort of created as as part of his um, philosophy. And um, the money vigilance type. Um, I've interviewed him about this and. Um, it's tricky because people who are vigilant about money often look great on paper. Like they have saved a lot and they're very conscious of budgeting. Um, and they're, they're, you know, they're careful with money. Um, usually don't like to carry debt, those types of things. Um, but it can also mean that they're not that happy. <laughs> and even though they're financially doing better than a lot of other people, they might feel a lot worse about their money objectively than a lot of other people. So, um, so just from a quality of life standpoint, that's not great. Um, but it can also be difficult for their family members and their loved ones. Like they might not want to, for example, pay for care for somebody else, um, in their family because they're worried about money and they consider it too expensive or, um, they might be uh, not wanting to spend money on, you know, it's the sort of classic example of like, you're, you're refusing to do repairs on your house. And so your house is falling apart, even though you can afford to repair it. But it's just, you know, you, you'd rather like live in a under a leaky roof um, and spend like dribs and drabs to fix it up occasionally rather than just splurge on a new roof and rip the bandaid off. So, um, so it's, it's, again, it's something that, that is common and that does really happen. Um, and it's something that people can kind of dress up as just being like responsible. But um, a lot of times it does come from trauma. It can come from ha having parents who didn't have money. Um, it's particularly, excuse me, it's particularly common, um, Dr. Klontz told me, um, among immigrant families when people have really mm, come right, from, yeah. you know, had to leave everything behind to come to a new country and um, just, uh, you know, there's like some hoarding tendencies that sometimes go along with it. So there are a lot of ways in which it just can be a really uncomfortable way to live. Um, and especially when you can afford to treat yourself better. Um, hopefully people can learn to do that. It all comes back, I feel, to this idea of balance, of how do we balance our social life, the things we want to do with focusing on our money goals? How do we balance those friendships and those relationships and kind of all of it together? And it's, it's a really 
it's a tough, uh, I think a tough point to figure out, you know, how, to, how do we get to that place? So, you know, kind of as we wrap up, I, you know, what do you want us to remember about, about how to balance all of this, our money goals, saving money, honoring our friendships? You know, what do we take, what do we take from this conversation that we can kind of put in practice going forward? Yeah, I think it's just important to remember that not every moment of your life is going to be balanced, right? Like there are different, I I think it's so cheesy when people use the word seasons, but it, sometimes it's just the right word to use. There are just different seasons in your life for different things. And sometimes there's seasons of your life to be like kind of reckless and irresponsible and that's okay. You learn from that. That is how you get better is you will hopefully hit a point where you're like, actually, this doesn't feel good anymore. And I don't want to live this way anymore. Um, and so I think that having a sense of forgiveness and curiosity about your experiences is really essential for ultimately evolving from them, right? Like you never want to be, you don't want to be like, you know, that person who's still blowing all their money at the bar, like 40 years later. Right. Um, but that isn't to say that you can't still have like a blow it out weekend where you have a ton of fun and you're not sitting there like, like dividing up the check and sending Venmo requests like every single minute. Right. So I think that, um, balance, balance can be, um, more long-term rather than short-term. I think it's, I think it's too much to expect that people be balanced every day and like perfectly order their lives around balance at, at every moment. I think that the balance can, can come if you're, if you're aware of it. One of my favorite moments from this conversation was when Charlotte was talking about the money vigilance personality type. So this idea that you could look really great on paper, financially speaking, but in actuality, you aren't that happy because you aren't spending any money. So I think if we circle back to the question at hand, is saving money ruining your social life? Maybe there's this happy medium a point where you feel like you can spend a certain amount of money every month going out and having fun. Maybe you put a boundary around that. But there's also a point where you feel like you aren't sacrificing your money goals. And take Charlotte's advice. You know, drop that into conversations with your friends and just see where it goes from there. See if they're receptive to supporting your want to have, you know, these friendships and go out and do things, but also your desire to really achieve these money goals. But at the end of the day, I want you to remember that it's your life. It's your money. It's your money goals. And that means you can save and spend it as you see fit, no matter what your friends think. That's just my two cents. If you want to connect with Charlotte, you can find her at New York Magazine's The Cut and on her website, charlottecoles.com. And you can also reach out to her if you have any money questions at any time. She would love to tackle them all. So if you enjoyed this episode, I don't know, share it with a few friends right now. Pose the question to them. Is saving money ruining your social life? As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode guests, as well as the sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you so much for tuning in, my friend. And I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. 